You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for October 31st, 2021, the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Well, today is Halloween, and I have mixed memories of Halloween growing up. One vivid memory is just of dinner. My parents knew the stakes were high on Halloween, and they could throw down the gauntlet. So our otherwise, uh, we had to clean our plates before we could go trick-or-treating. That was the deal. So our otherwise loving mom and dad served us what was considered the most nutrition-packed meal of the era, liver and onions and spinach. (laughs) My sister who's visiting today can probably attest to this, Wendy. And after a long and bitter standoff with my father, in the end, I think I finally choked down a bite or two But suffice it to say, our cat ate very well under the table that Halloween. Mostly, I remember those years when I was in elementary school in the mid-1970s. My two older sisters and I would pull together mostly homemade costumes. But these were the years when the James Michener series Centennial was being filmed in our hometown of Greeley, Colorado. And things like coonskin hats and beaded leather moccasins were readily available in the Big R supply store in our town. So I remember wanting to be a fur trapper or an Arapaho Indian. You could do that in the 1970s. So after cleaning our plates, we were free to go trick-or-treating through our friendly neighborhood until our plastic pumpkin candy buckets were full. Some killjoys warned of too much sugar or too much mischief and they tried to organize alternative Halloween activities. But there was no substitute for trick-or-treating and the week's worth of candy that resulted. As kids, we loved our neighbors best, who gave us the sweetest treats. And that's what Halloween was all about, Charlie Brown. It was long, I was long grown up before I learned that Halloween had anything to do with All Saints Day, or that hollow is the archaic word for saint and that Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve, is the first of a three-day triduum of feast days honoring the dead, including and especially all the Christian saints that have lived and died before us. On the calendar tomorrow, November 1st, is All Saints' Day, followed by All Souls' Day on November 2nd, and the three days together are known as All Hallowtide. In the Middle Ages, there was a custom of baking soul cakes, little shortbreads, to give to children on Halloween or All Hallows' Eve who would go door to door to collect them in exchange for praying for the dead from that household. This precursor to trick-or-treating was called souling. But long gone from All Hallows' Eve is the custom of praying for those who have gone before us and preparing to honor the saints on All Saints' Day. All Saints' Day itself is such a major feast for the church that it gets transferred to a Sunday and so it gets separated by days from Halloween, this, this year by a whole week. And it's not surprising that Halloween is not at all associated anymore with these religious underpinnings, spirit and ghost and goblin motifs notwithstanding. Maybe in part because it has become a secular holiday, Halloween is one of the most popular holidays in the Western world. Some people say they don't like Halloween. I've said that myself some years. But there's something special about whole communities, whole populations getting on board with 
common celebration and putting on costumes and canvassing through neighborhoods and knocking on doors of strangers and friends. It's a community holiday and very hard to celebrate privately. Opening your own door to strangers and neighbors and going knocking on neighbors' doors, whether friends or strangers, it's built into what Halloween is all about. And that's where I want to stop and pause and take note. One blog I like called The Salt Project suggested recently that from the point of view of community building and neighborhood making, we might even call Halloween a sacramental glimpse, if only for one night, of how the world is supposed to be. The blog said, when, when else do we intentionally spend this kind, to, this kind of time together as a community? When else do we do something as a neighborhood that's this intergenerational, this open to all? When else do our yards and doors open to so many? And when else are so many gifts given out, often by strangers to strangers, just for the sake of delight? For years living in New York City, I remember Halloween as a singular night on which some of the segregated lines of race and class were crossed easily. For example, several Park Avenue apartment buildings would open their doors and invite in trick-or-treaters, regardless of which borough they came in from. I didn't see that happening on any other evening than Halloween. And when it's done in that spirit of openness and fun and goodwill, at its best, Halloween is an ever-so-brief snapshot of what neighborhood can look like. In this age of pandemic, when caution and wisdom are paramount, this kind of joyful sharing and opening of doors to everyone and giving out treats to all kids, not just our own kids, is all the more precious. Maybe during this dark time in our culture and this dark, damp, chilly time of year, this is just the icon we need to remind us of what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves that Jesus calls out as the second of the greatest commandments today, part and parcel of the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our minds and with all our strength. I'm not saying trick-or-treating on Halloween actually evokes true love of neighbors as ourselves, but it's worth taking a momentary step back to consider the picture of what will actually take place in neighborhoods all over this charmed town on this festive night, on this town poised for an election on Tuesday after an unusually heated campaign, in a time when things like masks and vaccines and school curriculums and the colors red and blue would have us closing doors on one another instead of opening them to offer sweet delights. It's remarkable how a holiday leads us to suspend all of that, if only momentarily, to welcome whatever character arrives on our doorstep, whether angel or devil, hero or villain, and to see everyone as neighbor. Trick-or-treating on Halloween is a ritual, and what are rituals but small signposts directing our hearts and imaginations towards a wider vision and a more ideal world? Similarly, Jesus casts love for God with our whole being in the light of simply loving our neighbors. To fulfill one commandment is to fulfill the other. How could we possibly know what it means to love God if we can't love our fellow human beings 
starting with our neighbors. G.K. Chesterton said, great truths, great truths can only be understood on small stages. We can't possibly take in what it really means to love something as mysterious and enormous as God without having it broken down for us the way Jesus does into daily love of the people in our own proximity. We are bound only by our limited imaginations in finding daily ways to connect with and love our neighbors and to receive one another just as we are, with or without all the masks we wear, whether for pandemic or on Halloween. Zen masters and mystics have likened the highest form of love to a mirror in which everything is seen as it really is and accepted without judgment or fear. Just as a mirror reflects whatever appears before it, just as it is, so perfect love receives whatever it encounters and accepts it in its entirety, the contradictions and failures, the vulnerabilities and the strengths, without judgment or fear. We are created to love and accept one another just as we are, just as we are created to be, as images of God, each in our own uniqueness. That is the kind of love that can transform brokenness into wholeness and healing. Cynthia Bourgeau says, if I have not yet loved, or if love wears me out, it is partly because other people are seen as tasks or threats instead of extensions of my own suffering and loneliness. She translates the second greatest commandment as, you shall love your, love your neighbor as a continuation of yourself which I find to be a helpful way of understanding what it means to love my neighbor as myself. You shall love your neighbor as a continuation of yourself. We are all in this world together. None of us has been untouched by the pandemic. None of us can escape the effects of a climate crisis. None of us is unaware of the fractious nature of our culture. If one lighthearted holiday can direct our attention towards a moment of neighborly acceptance and connection, sharing open doors with, and sweet delights with strangers and friends alike, then bring it on. The God who created the light and the dark wastes no trick and no treat, no encounter with a neighbor, no opportunity, no matter how strange or challenging, to show us more and more how to love and how to be loved. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanaan.org.